baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning. And this morning we are talking about beer. We are joined by Phil Pappas. He is executive director of the Connecticut Brewers Guild and Dana Bork, president of the Brewers Guild and co-owner of Firefly Hollow Brewing in Bristol. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Let's start with a little about why the Brewers Guild exists and what you do. All right. So uh, the Connecticut Brewers Guild is a nonprofit organization. Um, we're an organization by Connecticut Brewers and for Connecticut Brewers. And essentially, our mission is to support the craft beer industry in the state of Connecticut. Um, that's through various uh, marketing um, initiatives or legislative initiatives that we have going on. The brewing industry in Connecticut has been growing by leaps and bounds in recent years, and we will get into that. But first, Connecticut brewers have been affected by the partial government shutdown. Tell us how that is affecting the brewing industry in Connecticut and what you're having to deal with. So the partial government shutdown affects our regulating, um, let's try that again, our regulating department, the TTB. And essentially, the TTB approves beer labels for us. So in our situation, uh, craft brewers are having trouble getting their new uh, their new brands basically approved by the federal government, so that we can start selling new new products. That's actually it's kind of a big problem for us right now because we're in the January season. We're often getting ready to send out uh, our labels for like our spring seasonals, our new summer beers. So anything that's new that breweries have planned for the next like three, four, five months is kind of getting sidelined right now. Um, and I can speak for myself. You know, We have a, a couple of ideas, a few labels that are about ready to go that we're kind of having to wait on uh, because they're not currently approving labels. And also through the uh, TTB, they also um, approve new permits for new breweries. Um, so we have a few instances um, where we have new breweries who are applying for new permits and they're at a hold right now. Um, so things are now backlogged and um, now put on the back burner. Um, so anything that they have regarding um, permitting issues with the state, buildings, uh, planning and zoning, all that right now is on hold. And when you're talking about creating new beers, I'm guessing that real estate in the brewery itself, those tanks, that's valuable real estate, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when we're when we're looking at planning, you know, the beer industry it doesn't happen off the cuff. You're often when you're looking at your your summer, your fall beers, you're usually several months um, in advance for planning. So, you know, for us, uh, there's a lot of opportunity lost associated with not being able to. Uh, you know, put out new products that the consumer would otherwise have enjoyed. As we sit here and record this program for the weekend, the partial government shutdown is continuing. But even after things open up again, you're expecting a backlog in terms of approval, aren't you? Yeah. So um, the TTB usually, on average, they're about one to two weeks for a label approval. Um, and that's when they're kind of 
operating normally. So our big concern right now is that when we start to submit labels, they're going to have a huge chunk of work on their their desks, and we could you know potentially be looking a month or two before we uh, start to see any of those labels approved. When the TTB looks at labels, what are they looking for? Uh, there's a uh, you know a bunch of um, kind of standards that you see on all beer labels. You typically see your um, alcohol declaration. You always see your Surgeon General warning. Um, there's also a bunch of things that you sort of can and cannot say. So you, you can't make claims that, um, for example, your beer is medicine or it's going to you know, help you jump higher, run faster, things like that. So you generally can't make medical claims or claims to health, you know, um, potions, elixirs, those sorts of things. So um, when the TTB looks at a label, they're just making sure you have um, the right Surgeon General designation and make, making sure you're not making any claims that uh, could deceive the consumer. So this only affects new beers, not ones that are currently in production. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So at least if you're an established brewer, you have something to rest your laurels on, I suppose, for the time being. Yeah. So you know, for for breweries in operation, we we can always rely on our core brands. Now, shutdown aside, how is Connecticut's craft brewing industry? doing and phil i'll i'll give you this one yeah uh the connecticut craft uh brewing industry is completely booming um we're doing ex- uh, extremely well um with one another we're advancing the industry here in the state um and across the nation as well uh craft beer sales over uh last year have been up seven percent um on a national basis and so we have 85 connecticut breweries that are open right now Um, We have about 20 or 30 that are in the pipeline looking to open by the end of this year. Um, So the industry is just continuing to grow. Um, We're working with a lot of partners, um, including different local farmers, malters, um, to grow uh, local ingredients for us to use in our beers um, to promote Connecticut beer and the Connecticut industry as a whole. What is fueling the growth? So fueling the growth has been the uh, ability for um, the craft breweries to get into um, their facilities, mostly have been in industrial areas, revitalizing these areas, creating their tap rooms, um, and sharing the product with the consumers. Where is that growth coming from? Are you creating new aficionados who just love craft beers, or are you you taking some market share away from the big guys like the the Budweiser's and the Coors? Uh, Yeah, I think that the Connecticut breweries are experimenting with new ingredients, um, coming up with different recipes. Uh, Within the past couple of years, um, the New England IPA is a new style that has really come from the craft brewing industry. Um, It's a new style that has just completely exploded. Uh, We're now seeing a new style called the Brute IPA. Um, which is using uh, champagne yeast. So it gives a little bit more of a lower ABV, a more of a citrusy, crisp flavor on that um, IPA style that people have been obsessed <laughs> with in the past 10 or 20 years. So that growth is pretty much coming from a lot of the um, experimental uh, of these of the brewers, of creating these new ingredients, these different flavors, whether you're adding coconut or hazelnut or coffee, um, all these different ingredients that are just continuing to uh, evolve people's palate. People come from near and far to taste these craft beers, don't they? Yes, they certainly do. Beer tourism is a thing. Yes. And in fact, the, the Brewers Guild has created a, a passport program. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we initiated our um, Connecticut Beer Trail passport at the end of August of uh, this last year, in 2018. Um, we have seen a tremendous, overwhelming support for that passport. Um, we 
noticed a huge need for it based on the wine trail that we've seen um, in the state for years now. And with the amount of breweries that are now open, we wanted to establish um, that tourism around visiting different tap rooms um, and make it fun for people to go around, visit tap rooms, um, feel like a collective part of the industry and uh, using the experience. So we uh, initiated a passport with about 80 breweries that were open at that time. Um, and you can collect different prizes based on how many breweries you visit and you collect stamps when you visit them. So you have bottle openers, hats, t-shirts. Um, we also have, uh, if you visit 50 by the end of this month, which is coming up in just a few weeks, uh, you'll get a VIP ticket to our uh, 2019 Connecticut Craft Beer Fest. That's going to be on March 23rd uh, at the Oakdale Theater in Wallingford, Connecticut. So number one, how do you get a passport? So you can pick up a passport at every brewery. At any brewery across the state. And number two, tell us more about the event you have coming up on the 23rd. How many brewers are going to be there and what else is going to be happening? So we're going to have over 60 breweries, uh, all Connecticut, of course, uh, at the Oakdale Theater pouring for uh, 3,000 attendees. Uh, we were at a sold-out event last year, uh, so we've expanded our space um, into three rooms, and hopefully in March the weather will be, knock on wood, uh, doing well for us. We'll have, utilize some outdoor space as well. Uh, we're going to have a band. We're also including the Connecticut Hop Growers Association at our event as well, where people can go over and actually feel, taste, and try the local hops, grain, malts that are uh, grown right here by local farmers. How big an industry is it growing ingredients right here in Connecticut for beers? Well, it's uh, it's grown a lot. You know, five years ago, I don't think you could have made a beer with 100% Connecticut-grown ingredients. Uh, but recently, uh, I'm not actually sure when they opened, but there's a place in Windsor called Thrall Malt, and uh, they converted a lot of their tobacco into uh, barley growing. Um, they put a whole bunch of money into a malting facility, and they're making... Um, I think mostly pale malt, um, some pilsner malt, which are some uh, very commonly used base grains, uh, and they're doing some specialty malts as well. Um, so uh, I know of the the one maltster, and then there's a couple hop collectives. Um, there's no real like major hop growers in the state right now, but there's folks who are kind of banding together, and you know one one guy might have one acre, another guy might be growing two, and they're kind of banding their products together for processing. Um, so I personally, for Firefly, we work with Thrall Malt and then Pioneer Hops Connecticut, which is based out of Morris. Um, and it's it's really neat to be able to connect uh, Connecticut agriculture and the, the Connecticut beer industry because it's something we've never been able to do before. Now, Beer Making 101, the ingredients that go into beer are, are quite simple, aren't they? Yeah, they are indeed. Um, so typically you have malted barley, um, which I already talked about a little. Hops are actually the flowering plant of a um, – it's a flowering part of a – uh, the hop vine, which is a, it's kind of like a vine, but a little different. And you also have obviously water and uh, yeast. So there's really four just major ingredients, and it's all about processing and using them properly to make a tasty beverage. How do you get so many variations? Well, um, there's uh, there's a bunch of different ways in which you can essentially take your raw mar- malt- your raw barley and go through the process of malting it, um, and that basically involves um, differing how long you are cooking or kilning your, your malts, and you can achieve anything that's um, very light in color. So if you were to use a, a 100% pale malt in a beer, for example, you'd get a very light colored you know, pale ale or blonde ale. But if you were to I- introduce small amounts of roasted barley, you would end up with something closer in color to uh, a Guinness or uh, maybe a toadstool stout, as I would like to say, which is one of the, the beers that we make. So, you know, there's a, a hundred different ways you can go through the, the malting process. And there's, I think at this point, literally hundreds of varieties of hops. Um, 
the way that you treat your water uh, for any particular beer is going to significantly affect the flavor, which is something I think a lot of people don't understand or overlook. And then you even have uh, hundreds of different yeast strains that have been uh, cultured from across the world that all have their kind of own unique flavor signature. And so it's really a brewer's job to take all of those ingredients and kind of fold them together into a final product that is delicious. You're listening to Face Connecticut. He is Dana Bork, president of the Connecticut Brewers Guild and co-owner of Firefly Hollow Brewing in Bristol, joined by Phil Pappas, executive director of the Connecticut Brewers Guild. One of the reasons the Guild exists is for legislative advocacy. What is on your wish list with the General Assembly in session now? So um, one of the legislative items that we'll be uh, tackling this year is to increase the direct-to-consumer sales for off-premise consumption. Uh, right now, it's set at nine liters per person per day, uh, which equates to because uh, we're unfortunately we're the only state that lists it in liters. Um, but we uh, that equates to one case of twelve ounce cans and nineteen sixteen ounce cans. I'm guessing maybe if people have a party or something, they come in and say, "This is how much I want," and you have to turn them away sometimes. Correct. Why is there that limit? Is it an antiquated law, or or there are other forces here who want to sell beer? Yeah, of course. You know, there's um, everybody uh, across the industry that's looking to you know sell their products, and um, the breweries are one of those entities that you can purchase beer from. Do other states have similar restrictions? There are uh, right now 42 states that don't have limits. Um, there is no limit set uh, on how much they can sell direct to consumer. Um, there are a few states out there that have um, a higher limit than us. Uh, we rank 47th in the state of uh, the limits that you can sell. Are you able to quantify how much this hinders your your business and your ability to to sell beer that people would consume offsite. It's a little bit hard to quantify, um, but you know I I know at our establishment we are frequently turning people down. Um, it's not uncommon for people to come in and request to buy a keg for a party, or just to want to get a case of cans and a growler. And I think it's um it's so. At my facility, Firefly Hollow, we sell 12 ounce cans, so it's an even number for folks to you know come and pick up. But I know um, other folks, like I'll use Beard Brewery as an example, they use uh, 16 ounce cans, and I know they would tell you every time that they're sending out 19 cans, they're losing that you know five cans of of sales on that case. So for them, I'm sure it's happening pretty much every single day they're in uh, operation. Where would you like to set the limit, or would you like it to be unlimited? The limit right now, I th- as Phil said, is nine liters. And while unlimited would be excellent for everybody, or at least for uh, the beer producers in the state, um, we are looking to set a new limit of six gallons. Um, and so that's basically, you know, we're, we're looking for a compromise where we're able to um, sell a little bit more product for the 16-ounce can producers out there. That ends up being uh, two two full cases. So there's other organizations like the Package Store Association and the Wholesalers Association. And a lot of our brewery members have great relationships with the package stores and the wholesalers that they work with. And so there's some thought to this that if the breweries are selling all the product themselves, then you're kind of undercutting the folks that are really partners in our industry. And so uh, I think what we're trying to highlight here is that we're not necessarily trying to just take all that business from ourselves, but we're just trying to work within that partnership and respect the other people at the table. Okay, so it's finding a balance there. Exactly. Anything else on your legislative wish list? That's it right now. It seems in Connecticut you have brewers, you have distillers, you have hard cider makers, you have wine makers, but none of them really 
do more than one thing. And that's the way the licensing is, is set up in Connecticut, isn't it? Correct. How, how does that work? Everything seems to be kind of siloed. Yeah, and, and um, the laws around that are all different um, from one another. So um, there are some people um, in our state who have interests of producing other products than just beer, um, included, you know, seltzers, ciders, wine, um, you know, liquor. There's, you can't really right now produce more than one, um, uh, under one permit. Um, you'd have to open up a separate permit at a different location um, if that were your goal. So that means a lot of red tape you'd have to cut through. Uh, it's just the same permitting application um, that you would have to do separate from the brewery. Yeah, you just end up needing separate organizations, separate entities. I don't know. Is there? I don't think there's anybody in the state actually doing that right now. Um, no. So it's it's never been pioneered. Um, but uh, that's something we've. I, I think the folks in the guild have talked about how nice it would be if we could loosen up some of those, um, some of that bureaucracy and kind of take a, a step back and look at how Connecticut's permitting process is currently set up. Um, and it's while it's not something we're looking at in the short term, um, you know, it would be something to look at down the road where, you know, it might be really cool if your breweries could also make cider or wine or, you know, it's kind of a natural evolution for a brewery to also have a distilling element um, because you already have half the operation built. So that's something to think about for the future for sure. I'm sure it runs the gamut, but is there a typical path to success for craft brewers? Ooh, uh, that's definitely, there's, it runs the gamut. So what I will say is a huge part of the reason we see so many breweries in the state right now is back in 2012, there was a piece of legislation that passed that essentially allowed small breweries to sell direct to consumer through tap rooms, as well as your growlers and cans. Prior to 2012, you only had the option to open a brew pub or a manufacturing facility. And so by by removing the food element of the brew pub and allowing direct-to-consumer sales without that element, it essentially makes it so a small brewery becomes much more viable because you're making, you know, to be blunt, you're making a lot more money on the pint of beer that I sell you in my establishment than I do the 16 or 12 ounce can that you buy on the package store shelf. And that's just eliminates all the packaging and processing. There's a lot of cost that goes from getting it to the keg to the can or, you know, the package store shelf. So, And uh, there are breweries out there um, whose business plans all differ. You know, there are breweries who are set up, um, whether it's a brew pub or not, set up just to serve their local community. Um, you know, three-barrel system, something small enough to serve the local surrounding community, People, of course, people from across the state. Um, and, of course, there are breweries out there with their goal of expanding and getting big and being on a national scale of getting their product across the nation. So I guess to yeah to answer that question a little more uh, firmly, there's a lot of folks who start small with a tap room and then they try to slowly build out kind of a distribution portfolio. Um, there's other folks like um, we'll use Two Roads as an example. Um, they do have an excellent tap room. If you haven't been, I'd highly recommend checking it out. Um, but you know they started on a much bigger scale, and so when a brewery on that size launches, they're looking to hit you know all the package store shelves and get as many draft accounts as they can right out of the gate. When you think about craft brewing, you think about the Pacific Northwest, you, you think about other areas of the country. Where does Connecticut rank in terms of, you know, being, you know, out in front in craft brewing? 
Yeah, and that's part of the Connecticut Brewers Guild's objectives is to get Connecticut on the map. Um, recently, uh, I was able to venture out to Denver, Colorado uh, for the Great American Beer Festival, and uh, we were able to bring 10 brands with us out there. Uh, so we were set up in alphabetical order with, along with our other uh, fellow guilds uh, from other states, and uh, we had a line of about 30 people waiting. And there were some states around us that had nobody in line, made some jokes about, you know, well, can I t- steal some of your customers? Um, our beer was that good. Uh, we were out there, and unfortunately, um, nobody took any awards home for, uh, respectively, from the GABF. Um, but we, I think, won the, pop, you know, the the popular vote. I guess the popularity <laughs> contest. Yeah. yeah. And what 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 makes Connecticut beer so sought after, and how why do you have so many fans? Would you say? I think we're brewing really good stuff, um, to be honest. I think that um, a lot of the breweries uh, across the state are experimenting and perfecting their craft before it's putting in. Um, When you think about it, we have 85 breweries that are open with another 20 or 30 that are looking to open. Um, You think that we'd be competitive. You know, we we are technically competitors of one another, but our industry and the, the people that are behind the scenes are all friends. We are constantly in communication with one another. Um, we strive, and the better that every single brewery gets, it's just better for the collective. Um, so we, as a, an organization, um, is really striving and leading the charge on just promoting Connecticut craft beer, um, bringing our industry members together uh, for meetings and beer socials, um, getting together as a community and just really rallying together and supporting one another. Is it accurate to say now that there is the demand there for craft brewers in Connecticut to really make a career out of brewing as opposed to maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago where maybe it was a, something on the side or a hobby and you still had to have a day job? Yeah, certainly. Uh, and I you know, I speak for myself here. I got into the craft beer industry when I was tw- about 24 Um, and that's really the only career I've had, you know, and with this craft beer boom, there's so many different, there's so many different styles that people are enjoying. And also, like you mentioned before, the craft beer tourism is a huge part of our industry. So there's a lot of folks who are just popping around drinking beers at all these different breweries, trying the new beers that all these places have. Um, and that's brought a lot of life to the industry. And, um, it's certainly, if anything, I think there's probably a a shortage of, um, of brewers at the moment. Uh, Is there an end in sight to the boom? um, Well, that's a great question. Uh, There's obviously, it can't continue like this forever, um, but I think uh, Phil could probably reaffirm this, but we're looking at having something something around 100 breweries in the state by the end of 2019. Um, And I think uh, it's just a matter of seeing how it goes, you know? Yeah, so um, nationally ranked, uh, we come in 26th in uh, breweries per capita. So per 100,021-plus adults, uh, we have 2.2 breweries uh, per 100,000 people. Um, absolutely supportive um, when we're middle, still middle of the road, um, ranking 26th in those categories. Uh, we are also ranking 26th in production as well. Um, so the demand is absolutely there. And like we were speaking on before in regards to tourism, bringing other people from other states, um, growing as an industry, getting our products out into the market, uh, that we have, you know, we will maybe pl- plateau at a certain point. Um, but right now, 
we're supporting everybody who's who's coming into our breweries. Yeah, there's plenty of room still. Are there numbers that show the economic contribution that the brewing industry makes to Connecticut? Yeah, we last year in 2017 we had a 718 million dollar economic impact. Um, that's craft beer in general um, on the state of Connecticut in the state of Connecticut, which again ranks middle of the road in 29th. Actually, yeah. So that number is. Um, uh, just to be clear, it's a number that reflects the total impact of the craft beer sector on the state of Connecticut. It's not solely Connecticut, you know, Connecticut numbers. And we haven't gotten to a point where our organization is able to put together like a real study to, to try to figure out what the Connecticut brewery economic impact is. Uh, but it's definitely something we're going to be looking at in the next year or two. He is Dana Bork, president of the Connecticut Brewers Guild and co-owner of Firefly Hollow Brewing in Bristol, joined by Phil Pappas, executive director of the Connecticut Brewers Guild. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.